Today on the Fieldhouse Files, it's All-Star break. The Pacers are 32-23, and 23, and we look forward to Domas Sabonis participating in the All-Star events. But before that, I'll talk with Seth Partnow, who covers the NBA and basketball analytics for The Athletic. We get into analytics and the growing usage around the league, what he watches during games, and much more. Welcome into another episode of the Fieldhouse Files. I'm Scott Agnes. Well, we've reached All-Star break. Pacers are 32 and 23. They've dropped to 6th in the conference because of that awful losing streak, losing 6 in a row just before the All-Star break. They did make it up a little bit on Wednesday by beating the Bucks who albeit were without Giannis on Dedekumbo and a few other players, but boy did they need that. The the tenor of the locker room, the feel and the atmosphere in there uh, was a little dark, as you would expect. It was quiet. It was uncomfortable as guys wanted to break through. They wanted to finally get that win, and they were able to do that before heading off to a warm climate for a few days. For contextual purposes, at this point, the last couple of years, the Pacers were 38-20 and 20 last year, 33-25 and 25 the year before that. And if they would have held serve and just finished out this last stretch before the All-Star break, decently well they'd probably be in fourth right now ahead of Miami because both the Heat and the 76ers also went on a little bit of a losing streak here in the last couple of weeks as all teams are ready for this all-star break we have seen Victor Oladipo play in seven games now since his return and he's still feeling it out it's still a process and I thought um, it was interesting to see him in the Bucks game take fewer shots be more effective and right away from the jump kind of set the tone for the game by drawing a charge on the first defensive possession. But still a lot of room for growth. He's still finding that chemistry, learning the tendencies of his teammates, and trying to find a rhythm shooting the basketball. But it was not unexpected. He hasn't played basketball in more than a year. So he's still trying to get that back as well. Well, before heading off to Chicago for All-Star Weekend, I sat down with our analytics guy at The Athletic, formerly the Director of Basketball Research for the Bucks. That's Seth Partnow, who does a great job presenting the game and providing analysis in a different way. He was in Indianapolis this week. He was at Monday's game against the Nets, and it was also interesting. On Wednesday, we saw one of our national reporters, another former front office guy, John Hollinger, at Wednesday's game. Anyway, Seth and I had a lot to talk about, and I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. All right, as promised, I bring in Seth Partnow, our analytics guru at The Athletic. He was in Indianapolis earlier this week, and uh, Seth, I was surprised. It was just your first visit to Banker's Life Fieldhouse. What would you think? I really enjoyed Banker's Life Fieldhouse. Uh, Just the difference between uh, the atmosphere there and most other NBA arenas I've been to is, is, is stark. Um, it's, I, I said this to you and I meant this in the best possible way. It's a much more collegiate vibe than most NBA arenas. And I kind of enjoyed that as a nice change of pace. Yeah. And that, as I told you, that was kind of by design, right? They, they incorporate the Hinkle Fieldhouse feel in all of it. They have the band kind of, or the drummers up there. Yeah. They have the two fan sections. I think it plays off Indiana's rich basketball culture. And then also you're seeing that more around the league as more and more um, arenas are moving right to these open bar setups and kind of just yeah. come to the game and hang out. They really want you to watch the game, although the Pacers will see those um, seats coming here in the next couple of years during renovations. So, yeah, good. I'm glad you had a good experience. Yeah. it's It also is just not- very notable to me that there's just less 
this is something that that on on uh, we, we touch on, on on my podcast on Nerdish Year a little bit. That we think that there's oftentimes just too much stuff going on during the game, and it was very refreshing. It was very stripped down almost. That it was it was just kind of it was like you know there were there was music sometimes, but it wasn't oppressive and every you know a, a big you know thumping beat every time there was a stoppage of play or anything <laughs> like that. And so we kind of just were watching a basketball game and occasionally like occasionally there was music as opposed to, you know, sometimes it can feel like you're you're at a concert and occasionally a basketball game breaks out. The thing I'd be interested in is like, for instance, during big games, ESPN will do its mega cast where you can get you know 30 different versions of the same game. And one of them is the natural sounds. To that end, I'd be very curious about if they quit playing songs and everybody clap your hands as Malcolm Brogdon brings the ball up and just let you listen to the, the, sque- the squealing of the shoes and those sort of things. There's a reason they put that in the TV broadcast. I would be curious how that would sound. It's something both me and my co-host Dave DeFore have talked about quite a bit. Yeah, I, I, uh, um, I've long wished for, if you just get the, like the, the natural feed of a game that like the, the court mics, so you could actually hear the players because I'm I'm yeah. I'm fascinated. I think that that's really, especially in evaluating defense, uh, that sort of verbal communication that goes on during the game would be a fascinating thing to be able to to really study. And you can sometimes, you know, you can play around with, you know, just using the center channel or something like that. But it's not obviously the the the, the broadcasts aren't really set up to emphasize those and and then obviously with uh, with the delay that uh, they put the broadcast on in case someone says something that's uh, not family friendly um, you don't always get everything but I would I, that's something I really wish you could you could you could uh, you could select to do because I think that would be a would be a really a really helpful way to, to, to analyze a part of the game that is that is pretty hard to hard to get a handle on before we get deep a little bit into to analytics and the, and the Pacers and what you observed in All-Star break. Could you just give a summary to my audience about your history? We, I know previously you spent it with the Bucks as as one of their analytics gurus, but uh, how did you get into this? Where did this passion for, for the numbers and the context that you can provide for games come from? Sure. I've, I've done like sports stats since I was eight, probably. I did, I did my first player rating system for a video game with my uh, best friend's father when I think I was 10 or 12 it was kind of they, there was a, 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 a basketball video game that had like six traits and there someone came up with a program that allowed you to customize it so you could you know how would the 86 Celtics play against the 73 Lakers or whatever wow and so we had to come up with a rating system to be able to to you know put every player on these scales and so that was kind of the first time we did one of those and and Kind of went from there, and then I, I played, uh, you know, through high school. I played uh, played for for a minute at uh, at D three school I went to, um, and and just kind of had kept up with it. Was an avid fantasy player, and then uh, right when the NBA started releasing some of the the player tracking data, some of the sort of process player tracking data in the thirteen fourteen season, that's right when I, uh, for various reasons, had started kind of my own blog, and I started writing about stuff and. And it, I got noticed and wrote for bigger sites and folks from teams started to reach out to me. And then eventually one thing led to another and I uh, got hired by the Bucks and was there for for three seasons and, and enjoyed my time there. And, and then this summer I kind of decided to move back to the to the media space as much for kind of 
family and life balance reasons. I think you you probably have as a as a beat writer who's always traveling. You probably have a have a good sense of this. Uh, just the, the the schedule of an NBA season is pretty punishing. It is, and it it's it's like someone else because it does. They dictate your own schedule. It's like, can you do lunch? I don't know. Let me check the Pacers schedule. <laughs> rather, yeah. rather than your own. So I could understand that. Uh, I was curious about that myself because um, both of the jobs that you, you had and have had and currently have are, are kind of gigs that basketball nerds and, and just anyone that loves the game would love. And so you've kind of <laughs> seen it on both sides, right? Being in, in the front office, listening to the outside noise a little bit and seeing where it's right and wrong. And then now trying to break down the game and make it simpler and more understandable, I think, for fans. Is one either more enjoyable or they're both just kind of different and one probably far less pressure? Uh, the, yeah, it's just two very different things. Um, certainly in terms of, of what I uh, – there's much more uh, – on the inside, you're very focused on, you know, kind of competitive advantage, yeah. uh, obviously, like you're in the business of winning games. Um, and, and on this side of things, it's – there's there's more room to kind of explore and you know that's interesting let me let me let me chase that let me chase down that rabbit hole see what i find and you know neither one is is better or worse it's just kind of a a different focus i was intrigued by the fact that when you're sitting next to me at that game pacers nets which they lost by the way you pointed out how roughly a dozen teams now are sending a guy actually on the road. Um, when when did you start to see that come about, and, and why do you think that is? Because I would almost think, I guess there's the communication factor. It's, it's as easy as it comes in person, but I almost think they'd be best staying behind with their, their three monitors in their kind of <laughs> cave, if you will, right, in, in their, in their First comfort of all, how area. Dare you? Uh, <laughs> I did not uh, say their mom's basement, nothing yeah, like that. Um, we all have second- our comfortable desk set up. Come on. Uh, second, second of all, um, you know, the, the, a lot of it has come from, uh, you know, there, there's there's some coaches around the league who want that kind of uh, on-site support, um, and and okay. usually it's it's very rare that you know there are there are some teams that have you know just one or two uh, analytics folks in their organization, and it's rare that those are the teams that have you know someone traveling with the team. Um, it's it's usually teams that have built out and it's a little more robust, and so they have kind of they have a group kind of in the home office working on stuff, and then one person. Uh, at this point, I think it's mostly uh, like a specific person, although I can imagine places uh, situation where you'd want to like ro- again for the for kind of the the, the travel balance stuff, you, you maybe would want to rotate that through. Uh, but right now, I think every team that does it, uh, it's kind of one person who who is in the travel party and that's someone who you know goes to shoot around sits in 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 coaches meetings and and does all those things and that and being in those coaches meetings on the road and every day in film sessions actually gives you a head start on a lot of your work because you you know what the questions are going to be and not just like what the questions that the that uh sort of a difficulty in communication in this area is that uh, a kind of a quote-unquote basketball person might not know exactly how to ask what they want to know. And if you are kind of around and, and actually a part of, or at least an observer of those discussions, uh, then you can really anticipate, not like what do you know how to ask, but what do you really want to know? And then let me figure out how to answer that. And that's really the way 
it works best. And I love it because that's exactly what your pitch or message to us was at The Athletic. It was like, you might have an idea for a story and, and you want to work stats and tell me your story. I'll tell you if, if there's, there's data behind it that backs it up or, or proves your point or disproves it for that matter. Sure. And it's, it's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a million different stats you can look at. And depending on what you're trying to illustrate, different ones are better or worse. And, you know, I wouldn't expect you as a, as a, as a beat writer to have the time to, to study those and figure out which, which shooting split should I use to illustrate who is the, you know, the best three-point shooter. Uh, I wouldn't expect you to know that. And the same way I wouldn't expect, you know, uh, a, 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 an assistant coach or certainly a head coach to have the time to really study and figure out which of those makes the most sense to, to, to use for a particular problem. So that's where some of that, that the interpretation comes in. One of my sort of least favorite expressions is sort of what do the numbers say or the numbers say this. It's not that if the numbers <laughs> spoke for themselves, you wouldn't need people to interpret them. They, they require context and, you know, selection and understanding when something matters and when it's just noise. And that's, that's as much art as it is science. And for context, I should kind of explain the Pacers setup. They do not send someone on the road. Um, they b- basically have about three individuals, one more geared towards the front office, another for Nate McMillan and his staff, and then uh, a third guy that's been worked in here over these last couple of years. I'm curious, do you yeah. guys within the league ha- have a, a group chat or a text at all of, of analytics guys around the league as you um, maybe sit on the same conferences and are using some, some of the same data? Uh, we, we don't have like a group chat so much. Uh, there is a, the, the network is pretty, we, we all know each other. Uh, we, there's, there's kind of at the, uh, Sloan sports conference, there's, there's a, uh, there's a kind of an established, uh, Thursday night watering hole that, that we all know to nice. go to. Um, in the past, I, there, we've actually, there's been a, there's been a, a, a dinner for, uh, uh, kind of all the analytics folks around the league to come to um, uh, in the past. I've organized that. Unfortunately, we're not doing that this year because the restaurant where we had held it uh, closed. Uh, so we, and, and it just, uh, the bar tab was not large enough. Apparently, uh, apparently <laughs> you know, the restaurant industry being what it is. Yeah. Um, so no, we, I mean, we all, we all uh, know each other and it's, and, and uh, you know, that I was able to, to see folks from both teams. The Nets actually are one of the teams that have a, have a, have a guy traveling with them. So I was uh, able to, able to, to see my guy Logan at the game who, uh, who actually sits behind the bench for the Nets. Um, and, and again, like you said, uh, there's probably a dozen teams now that have someone uh, traveling with them uh, the majority of the time. And I think that number is only going to go up. There's actually now there's two teams that have, people in assistant coaching roles that have a, a primarily an analytics background. I wouldn't say primarily. Wow. Um, both, okay. uh, uh, both Dean Oliver with, uh, with the wizards and Brittany, uh, uh, Brittany Danielson with, uh, with, um, uh, the Raptors, uh, have playing, uh, have, have strong playing backgrounds as well as their, as well as their, um, very technical and advanced, uh, statistical knowledge. That evolution's been interesting and i will say it's a fun story that i kind of actually would like to do down the road if he's willing to participate but the pacers guy for the coaching staff named ryan renteria a fascinating story a guy that uh, killed it on wall street but wanted to get back into basketball and so that's what he's doing he's able to live remotely and i don't know if you've come into contact with him but it's a, a really interesting guy 
I, I, I think I've met him briefly. I, the, 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 the other two guys in the Pacers, uh, uh, Spencer Anderson and Nick Flater. I, I, I know both of them. Uh, it's interesting. It's, it, this is, a, it will illustrate kind of the small world. Uh, the NBA has every fall does a, a hackathon, which is, if you're not familiar with, it's kind of a, uh, a sort of a programming and analysis competition where they give like groups of, of students. And now they've, they've moved not to they moved to professionals also as well as students. But you give them a, a data set and a certain amount of time and say, here, here's 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 a problem to work on. Uh, you have X number of hours, uh, then present your solutions uh, and. When when they've done that, they've had the they've had folks who are with teams kind of there as sort of uh, mentors and sounding boards for the competitors. And I first met Nick, uh, who, who's now uh, analyst with the Pacers, who was on one of the teams that I was kind of the uh, the the advisor for. Uh, I want to say three years ago at the Hackathon. So nice, it's, uh, yeah. It's a it's a it's a small world, and actually, I, uh, at least one other person who who was from that group is now a. a uh, works in analytics for the Phoenix Suns as well, so it's a that, that's been a, a an effort the league has made to really put teams in contact with the kind of the kind of students and young professionals that have the skill sets necessary. That's that's awesome. That's exactly what both sides really need. Um, let's talk a little bit about basketball, right? We're sure. at All Star Break. Um, I guess first of all, is this a rare time where you? Formerly being in a front office where you would be able to get away, the trade deadline's behind you. Would you be able to sneak away now for three, four, five days? So that's, that's I think that was a big driving force between the trade, behind the trade deadline, uh, moving uh, ahead of the All-Star break, uh, was that people who work for teams were like, you know what, I, I want to get out. <laughs> and when the, when the trade deadline used to be the third, you know, the, uh, like the, the Wednesday or Thursday when teams were getting back on the court, after all-star break and that was actually terrible because it just made it so awkward yeah well the i mean then but then all-star weekend is all about trade discussions and and you know it's and and you know what should be yeah it should be a break becomes like an all-nighter work session essentially and and uh and so it, it just becomes it's from a from a life standpoint it's much more humane now that the 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 trade deadline is before the all-star break so i think that it's that it's very common for, for folks in the league to, to <laughs> get out of Dodge now, uh, especially if they if they have, you know, no nothing related to all star responsibilities. Um, I, I actually think that that it's probably is or will become kind of a, uh, a wedding weekend for uh, for NBA folks, because <laughs> uh, there, there's just not that many holes in the calendar where you can, uh, if you have, especially if you have a lot of have a lot of and of friends around the league who you're inviting to your wedding, there's not a lot of holes in the calendar for, for when you can actually expect people to show up. It's basically what this weekend. And then sometime in August, maybe you can yeah. sneak it in the first couple of weeks in September. That's your, yeah. that's your tight window. Yeah. Maybe may exactly. a couple, a couple weekends if you really want to force it, but no, that's a good, that's a good point there. Um, so you're, you're watching Pacers nets. I'm curious what your general observations this season have been on the Pacers who, um, kind of, I think overachieved a little bit, or at least exceeded expectations up until the point Victor returned. And then there were kind of the bumps in the road that were to be expected when you reinsert the best player on the team who want, has a high usage rate and wants to get back into the thick of things. Yeah. And, and you saw a little bit of, of, of that, I think, um, for most of the season that what they've been doing offensively has been, hasn't been super complicated and, and, but it's been just, you know, 
it, it's sort of uh, almost like remember the Titans where, okay, we're going to run the veer, stop it. And, <laughs> and that's, that's a little bit of, of you know, we're going to, we're going to run, uh, you know, a high ball screen for, for Malcolm Brogdon with the, <clears throat> with, with the Montez bonus rolling miles Turner popping and, and he's going to either get to the basket or you're going to have to help and, and he's going to pick the right pass and we're going to go from there. And that, you know, it's not, it's not uh, revolutionary basketball, but it's, it is, it's been around forever because it works and the Pacers had that working very well. And, and now kind of, uh, you know, Barton's been in, in and out of the lineup a little bit and with Oladipo back, now they're trying to fit another kind of different style, another person who likes to have the ball in his hands back in. And I kind of saw for most of that game, a lot of, uh, uh, unusual, I think, in my observation, hesitation from 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 Brogdon in terms of okay, well, I'm trying to work this guy back in. So when do I take? Do I go now? What do I do? Do I pass to get the? Uh, and, and it just was a almost a discomfort in how everyone was was working together. And that's you know, I, I like you said, I think that's to be expected. It's a you're, you're adding a big piece back in, and it's going to take a little bit of time. And you know, especially adding someone back in kind of in the thick of the season where um, I don't know if you, you talk about this a lot, but uh, something that, that fans are always surprised to learn is how little practice time in the way that you would think about like a, like a, you know, a two hour, like bust ass practice, how rarely that happens once the regular season starts. And so getting a new guy in and up to speed on the fly is actually pretty tough because the games are almost your practices. And to that inset, uh, the big thing I kept repeating to people both on Twitter and in my stories was the fact that before Victor came back, he hadn't even shared the backcourt in practice with Brogdon or the other guys because he had been practicing either with the Mad Ants or the G League. That's a great use of it, obviously. And then with the third unit. So this was all new to them. And that's another reason why I didn't or why I did expect these growing pains. But I thought the thing that was interesting, too, though, was the other night um, against Milwaukee in the team's win. How about this? It was the first time during this losing streak that he shot less than double digits, right? He'd been throwing up 14, 15, 17 shots. He has made five in each of the last four games. It was this last game where he went five of seven. And I think he really, talking about Victor, I think he went in the flow with things and didn't force, didn't try to shoot his way into rhythm and just kind of played off of everyone and everyone benefited. Yeah, although, I mean, one also a decent grain of salt, like kind of those last couple of games before the All-Star break. Um, uh, I th- uh, uh, our, our colleague John Hollinger was at the game last night, and he was tweeting out calling uh, mm-hmm. the, the Montego Bay Pacers, just <laughs> thinking that, uh, that that some people's minds might be starting to drift to other places, uh, which is, you know, it's a, a little bit of senioritis, sure. if you will, um, which is, I think, very understandable. So... And um, it was true for both teams. I mean, there yes, was there were sequences where the turnovers were just like, what is this preseason? Um, as to be expected, as much as you hate it. Yeah, it's 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 just a it's a it's a reality of of, of what people are, are going to do. Whether it's someone who has, you know, some someone who is participating in, in all star stuff this weekend, or yeah. or uh, someone who's just you know going someplace warm for for a couple days. You'd previously worked with the Bucks, Seth, so obviously you knew. Malcolm Brogdon more than any of us. Did you like the fit when the Pacers made the deal to bring him on and, and give him an extension for the next four years? Uh, I did. Um, I think that, that, the, that his uh, effectiveness as kind of that, the ball dominant 
lead guard, I think is, is has surprised me a little bit. Um, he, he had always shown the ability to kind of run second side pick and roll and, and be a, be efficient kind of as a support player. Um, I like for, for the bucks, he, he never really got an opportunity to be, you know, as, as on the ball as primary an option as he has been for the Pacers. And so it's one of those things that since you'd never seen it, you didn't know if he could do it or not. And I think he's probably in that role, um, exceeded expectations, but I thought that he was, he was a, a good pickup because of his, his versatility and his ability to, to, you know, score efficiently in different ways uh, that he would be, you know, he's the kind of player who would be, who would fit in pretty easily on any team. Uh, just because he can, you know, he can catch and shoot. He can, he can, can catch and drive. He can, he can, um, he can run a pick and roll. So, kind of any of those things that you kind of want a guard to be able to do, he's he's shown the ability to do it, and and that versatility allows him to fit in a lot of different uh, concepts. And so, I thought that he would, I thought that he and Oladipo would would mesh well together. Like, which one's the point guard? Which one's the off guard? It's kind of they're both sort of one point fives, mm-hmm. and. So maybe there's a little bit of finesse needed to get that to, to work. And that's, you know, I think that's part of the reason why the, 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 the fit back together has been a little bit awkward is if, if, you know, one of them was a straight one and one was a straight two, then it's, I would be a little easier, but since they're both kind of want to do and are good at doing overlapping things, kind of figuring out that balance is going to be, is going to just be something that that's going to grow and take time. Yeah, and it remains to be seen, obviously, but I think I like that because whoever has the hot hand or they can set up the other right, and especially come playoff time when this team has sorely lacked playmakers and and guys that are calm and and can take over in the clutch. Brogdon this season has already proven, and we even saw it in the fourth quarter last game. Um, He came in much earlier than Nate McMillan usually inserts him. He brought him in, I think, at about the 10-minute mark, and he immediately impacted the game, um, finished with a double-double with assists being the second number, and, and and I, so I've really liked it. I think right now he just needs to get healthy. He's dealing with all these nagging injuries. I think along with the rest of the roster, because of so much changeover, they're all kind of exhausted at this point. Um, and so I'll be curious to see how they play the first couple of weeks coming back from break. And I think um, things will look much better. I, I know you got to get out of here. I'm curious on a couple last things. First of all, as you're sitting up there watching games alongside me, how are you watching it? Are you watching and paying attention to things much differently um, than, say, your average fan or reporter? Um, it, it really depends. Uh, I think the, first of all, the, the, the vantage point, the, the, the media vantage point in, the in, the, in, in, in the field house is, is, is pretty great to be able to, you're, you're close enough to be able to see what's going on. And then the angle is sort of end on. So you're kind of getting, you know, the, the, almost the all 22 version of the game. And mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a really, that, that's a really good angle to kind of be able to, to see what teams are doing tactically. So that's, that's sort of the, one of the things I'm looking for. I think that, that, you know, we talked about that during that game is I was actually surprised at how uh, up until the fourth quarter, basically how exclusively uh, Brogdon was, was, you know, initiating offensive sets and, and Oladipo was kind of starting, you know, on the wing or in the corner on most sets. Uh, I was expecting it to be a little more, more balanced. And, and so that's stuff like that is kind of okay. uh, a, a little bit what I, what I'm looking for. Um, and then just, you know, as the, the game comes, I mean, you know this, you, you watch enough basketball, um, you kind of, the, the, there's a sort of a flow and a rhythm to how the game goes. And then if something unusual happens, 
it's the analogy I've always used is, is the, the way you spot a marked card in a deck isn't like you pick up the, the pattern. It's when you like are riffling the cards. There's like a, the, the different pattern like flashes in front of you. And then that's, that's how you see the marked card. Huh. Um, and that's sort yeah. of you're watching if you're watching a basketball game and something unusual happens. You know, if you've watched a thousand NBA games, you kind of know, like they, they, there, there's a, there is some similarity to how they look. And then something different happens. Like, whoa, what, what just happened there? And that's in some ways that's easier to to deal with, like at watching at home because you can sort of rewind. Uh, but watching it live is like, what just happened? Let me see if that happens again. That was interesting. What was that? So that's uh, just kind of being alert for those kind of situations is, is one of the things that I'm I'm looking for because then that's that if it is something that's unusual or new then that's that's an opportunity to kind of go back and dig into the dig into the numbers a little bit to to see like how frequently it happens how effective it is and all that kind of stuff. And last thing here and. This is something I'd like to work on, as I mentioned to you, on a greater project, and it's one of the biggest concerns, I think, for this Pacers franchise in the next couple of years, and that's how you utilize the big men, right, with Miles Turner and Domas Sabonis. Um, So far, it's kind of a mixed results. Domas is playing at an all-star level. Miles is, like everyone, kind of having to sacrifice. I thought he was really good. Uh, last night against Milwaukee and and making his presence felt. But just kind of a big picture on this, do you see this type of uh, lineup working out for the Pacers? Um, it's, it, the, it, the, it's tough. Um, the league, you know, is, is still kind of, as much as certain teams are experimenting with going back to being big, it sure seems like the league is still trending the other direction. Yeah. And, um, whether or not that pair of guys is good enough at the right things to be able to be effective if another team downsizes um, remains to be remains to be seen. Um, you know, it's funny because there's a there's sort of one uh, I don't know detriment to each guy on on either end. Um, I think. That's where they compliment each other a little bit. Well, yeah, but like, is 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 Domas like quick enough to guard out on the perimeter? Because obviously, you want is he is he because he's not a, he's not a great rim protector. Whereas Miles Turner is is very effective down there. Mm-hmm. So if they're going to play together, obviously you're going to want uh, Sabonis being the one who's outside more. Is he quick enough to do that effectively? And then um, on the other end, is is Miles Turner able to? If the other team p- puts like a small forward on him because they've gone small, um, can he do anything other than space? Can he take advantage of that theoretically that size mismatch? I mean, you to to look look at another team that that's been sort of everyone's been yelling at uh, at at Kristaps Porzingis to post up more. Well, he's not good at it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and I don't I, I you know Miles Turner has 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 some skills, but I don't think he is a guy who has really shown the ability to take a smaller guy, put him under the basket, and score efficiently to the point where if he gets a small guy on him, you break your offense and say, Miles, go down there. And and absent that, then you're kind of giving up a you're giving up the quickness matchup on on defense and not really getting anything back for on offense if you can't do that. So that's I think that's the the fundamental like problem with with the two of them together. And you know at the same time, you want your best players on the court, so maybe you live with that disadvantage. Uh, but whether or not they can kind of navigate that difficulty is going to be 
the key going forward to whether, you know, that pairing works. And if it doesn't, then, you know, just from a, you know, an, an asset, you know, an asset management standpoint, I think you probably have to trade one of them. This could be a conversation for its own podcast. And I think you're right. If, if it doesn't work out, um, you have to decide, can you really tie up $40 million and start in your starting centers, plural? Um, but they're yeah. both on relatively good contracts. Um, so that, that, that's the biggest thing I think I'll be tracking along with Depot's health here um, towards this end of the season. It's not a championship-level type season, a contending season um, for them. Um, but that's what they're working towards because they have these – um, key six, seven guys contracts tied up for the next couple of years. So Seth, I know you got to get out of here. It was great to see you in Indy. Thanks for stopping by and, uh, sure. thanks for jumping on the podcast. We'll have to do it again. Absolutely. Soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Seth part now, our analytics guru for the athletic. He lives in Milwaukee, formerly worked for the bucks as their director of basketball research. And obviously knew all the ins and outs of the Bucks, and now is handling that, um, with us for the athletic and has become a great resource for us. If you check out his author page at The Athletic, he's providing, along with Sam Vecini and Danny LaRoa, a breakdown of all these trades that have recently gone on at the trade deadline. And and I'll probably get into a piece with him about Domas and Miles, as I previewed a little bit. Is it feasible for the long term? If it is, how do you make it work? Those sort of things. And not what the numbers tell us, but using data, as he said, to explain um, what is working and what is not. Well, I wish you all a happy all-star break. I wanted to get this recorded before heading off to Chicago. I will be staying bundled up with boots and a big winter coat because it's supposed to be freezing out there, but it should be a fun weekend. The things you need to know about the weekend, Friday, Tamika Ketchings could be named a finalist for the 2020 Hall of Fame first ballot. Friday night, you can hear Miles Turner on the broadcast of the Rising Stars game. On Saturday, Domas Sabonis will be in the Skills Challenge. And on Sunday is the 69th All-Star game. And keep in mind, as you watch, Indy is hosting All-Star Weekend next year. So all the different things that go into the weekend. Indy has representatives there watching, planning out, deciding how they can improve upon those different things. Oh, and I should mention the public address announcer for the All-Star Game and All-Star Weekend is a familiar voice, the Pacers PA man, Tim Sinclair. That will do it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, and I'm sure I'll talk to you again from Chicago.